I'm joined today by regular guest Tom Castley. Tom, as you know, is the VP of EMEA uh, at Outreach. And today we're going to be talking about all things accountability. Tom, you're very welcome back. Thank you very much for having me again. Yeah, looking forward to this subject, close to my heart. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. And, and, and I'm keen to talk to you about it, Tom, because I was listening to a podcast recently. It's the CEO, or Diary of a CEO, Europe's number one business podcast. Excellent uh, podcast. But uh, he was talking to a guy who'd been very successful, and he was talking about accountability. And he said that he could see the stats on his podcast that as soon as he mentioned accountability, they fell away. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you will lose 80% of your audience straight away. How do we talk about this subject in a way that we don't lose 80% from here on in? Well, the people that we won't lose will be the people who keep going to President's Club every year. So if you want successful salespeople listening to the podcast, then let's talk about accountability. Okay, I I, I can't think of a better uh, commercial for it than that, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Um, what does it mean to you? Talk to me about your your kind of journey on accountability when you discovered it uh, from a professional standpoint and what have you noticed most about it? Uh, two reasons why anybody loses a deal. One is you were outsold. Number two is you shouldn't have been in it in the first place. There are no other excuses. And anybody who says to you, well, oh, the competition was cheaper, um, somebody changed roles in the company, uh, another project decided to, these are all excuses and don't get to the root and nub of the course. The best salespeople in the world hold themselves accountable because I, I deliberately decide to be in the deal and then I deliberately decide that I'm not going to get outsold. And if you recognize you got outsold, find out where it was, take accountability for that and and develop and train your way around it. I mean, nobody's perfect. You Like every sports person, you get beaten on occasions. Yeah. Um, and then the first one is, is just make sure you're in battles that you can win and hold okay. yourself accountable to that. So it's partly, and I guess it's more than just this, but I'm guessing mm -hmm. it's partly from what you're saying about being honest with yourself. Yeah. Okay, what else is it though? Because it has to be more than just being honest with yourself. Uh, well, yeah. So, so then, then when you when you take those two core beliefs, then you can start to break down accountability into bite-sized steps. So, you know, I'm not one of these ones. Well, you know, then it's this big audacious goal and nobody can measure it. So, how do I hold myself accountable? Well, some of the things might be that you know, in my deal reviews, um, I will uh, ask a rep. Well, okay, what is, what is the risk in the deal? Now, if they can't tell me what the risks are, then maybe they shouldn't be in it in the first place or they're going to get outsold. So, you know, Ooh. so let's hold ourselves accountable to be open about, you know, let's get all the risks on the table. When we understand the risks, rather than saying, what are you going to do uh, with that? Is that so, so how can we address that? Now, they'll come up with one or two ideas. I think where a lot of sales leaders uh, fall short in coaching is uh, even if they come up with the best idea, the AE, give them another one. We've got oodles of experience. You know, well, maybe you ought to try something like this as well. You could do now. Uh, now we've got two options on the table. You choose which one you want to go with. 
And the A will say, well, I'll go with option B or option C or option A or whatever it is. Okay. Then mm-hmm. you write that down. And then it's unacceptable that next week when we review the opportunity, that that has not been addressed or worked on. That's the accountability. Now, we talked in a previous session about uh, whenever doing training, I like to ask four questions. What was something that you learned? What did you find the most interesting? What are you going to put into practice straight away? And what do you want to dig into or learn about further? And the mistake I made on that third one, what are you going to put into practice straight away was, so what are you going to put into practice straight away? How will you know when it's done? Uh, And then holding myself accountable to checking up on them on it. And what we talked about, I think, in one of the other podcasts was like, okay, so Tom, you're coming. Paul, you're going to hold Tom accountable. Tom, how is Paul going to measure you on whether you've done it? Brilliant. Right, Paul, next week you come back and you're to give me a school report on how Tom did on that. So you disseminate the accountability out to peers. Mm. Yeah, so a few things to unpack there. One is yeah, don't necessarily I, have accountability come up. Yeah. 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 So there's, there's, there's two things that I'm hearing. One is mm. being accountable, and the other one is holding people accountable. And I think they're probably two different things that are closely related. And, and the reason why I'm, I'm thinking that was one of the best bosses I ever had, shout out to Alistair Bannum. Mm. And... Uh, Alistair was fantastic in that he would say, okay, Paul, when will you have that? Mm. And you give him a date. And this was, this was a while ago. And, and Alistair was always old school in his technology. And he had a tickle file, which was literally a concertina folder, mm. paper folder with 1 to 31 days of the month. Yeah. And he would literally, so if you said, I'll have it for you on the 22nd of the month, he would put that little piece of paper that you wrote, he wrote it on in the 23rd, the next day. And if he didn't see it when he got up that morning, you'd get a phone call. You said you'd have it. Where is it? And in terms of holding people accountable, he was second. You know, he was fantastic. But that that drove me to be more accountable in terms of discipline because I knew that mm. uh, in terms of, I guess, habits. I should say my habit then was I knew if this was coming, it forced me to be more accountable. And I'm wondering, mm. is it a chicken and egg situation? And if it is, which comes first? There, there is. So uh, interestingly enough, I was having uh, a really good conversation with Mark Cosigler, one of my colleagues here yesterday, about exactly this, which was um, this habit of bumping people. Bumping is reminding somebody of something you asked them to do in a time frame that we both agreed, but then they didn't deliver. Mm. And, you know... Uh, there aren't many human beings out there who take a task, agree to it, and are so disciplined that they will follow through on every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you think that's the case, you're going to go through life disappointed. Um, you know, unless unless you're the queen or something, or is it, or is it, or or you're a magistrate at the court, you, you, you're not going to have a hundred percent success rate. Yeah. So when you ask somebody to do somebody, make it's my my accountability is to write that down and maintain a list of the things I've delegated. And then when they're not delivered, bump it. Mm. Say so just, you know, here's the request I sent you on email. And all I, you know, what Mark does is he just replies to it and just goes bump one. And then Ooh. three days later, bump two. <laughs> and and what, what he shared with me, yeah, what he shared with me though, is people now know it's coming. Yeah. And there are people who needed bumps who don't need bumps anymore because they know they're just going to get it. And it's not going to go away and you can't ignore it. So if you agree to do something 
it's it's an agreement to do it and it's going to be followed up yeah. and, and the story that he used to back that up which which i really resonated with because i've got four kids myself he's got a lot of kids uh they were all young at the same period of time same with mine and and so here's the story you're driving home from work the story he shared with me and i can i can picture it was he's driving home from work it takes him about three quarters an hour to drive home and he comes to the off-ramp and the distance from the off-ramp uh, to home is a couple of miles. Mm. And uh, at exactly at the halfway point, there's a grocery store, supermarket. And his wife had called him as he came off the off-ramp and said, uh, we've ran out of milk. I haven't mm. been able to get out and we need some for the kids. It's nighttime. Okay. Drives home. Literally, is completely forgotten. Gone past the grocery store. Didn't stop. Got home. And, uh, and was so disappointed in himself when he got home. And he said, you know, I immediately went out and got it and went and got the milk and what have you. But he said, here's the thing. He said, I, I knew in my heart that uh, the fact that I went out and got the milk and stuff wasn't wasn't thing. I kind of recovered it. It's the fact that I forgot it kind of devalued the importance of the request coming from his wife and let her down because it was important to her. And in the midst of everything that was going through his brain as he's winding down through the day and forgotten, he just forgot it. And it seemed like a, a thing we touched, but it was important to his And it signaled his commitment to being, you know, a, you know, a, a co-parent in the house and recognizing how tough her job and stuff is at home and all the rest of it. Mm. Uh, and that resonated with me so much and just said, well, look, when I ask people to do things, uh, they, they're not thinking like, we are about our significant others at home and having that level of consciousness, what have you. So it's okay to bump and it's okay to chase somebody for an action that you're holding them accountable for. And we shouldn't get disappointed when they don't follow through. Yeah. You see, you're saying that you shouldn't be disappointed. No, it's an element of training. Lots of people are not held accountable or they can get away with it. Yeah. You know, it's no, I, like, I, I, I get that. But what resonated with me about your story was the fact that when somebody makes a request and you don't follow up on it, it it's a statement about priorities. Yeah. And I never looked at it that way. I was looking at it more like kind of a mechanistic yeah. respect that it no, just I, has to I, be done by. <laughs> now, I will, I will say... Uh, some of the best salespeople, and I learned this tip from somebody who's far better at sales than I ever was, was if he was ever asked to do anything and held accountable, um, he wanted to know why it was important, why it was necessary, uh, and why he should carve out time to do it. Mm -hmm. So, right. you know, there's lots of people who ask for lots of things, and you, and we just kind of, okay, yeah. well, it's it's qualification in the other direction. Right, you mm. want me to do that? What what happens with that? What happens mm. if I don't do it? Is there another way it can be achieved? Can mm. I delegate it out? Does it have to be delivered by then? But isn't that, that's another way of saying you're accountable for your time, and yeah. that when you give that away freely to other people to spend it as they wish, yeah, then you're not being accountable either to yourself. Yeah. My my boss's job is not to make me busy; it's to help me be successful. Yeah. So if all they're doing is making me busy, then isn't that another conversation to be had? And obviously with a with an element of tact mm. and respectfulness and deference and <laughs> but mm. you know, to find out where it's coming from. Mm. 
I still, I'm still trying to kind of fine tune my understanding of this accountability when we talk about it in, in, a, in a simple terms, because we're, we're now talking about being accountable to ourselves, being accountable to others. It's more than just saying what you're going to do and then doing it, or, or is it? No, it is. It's, it feels like it's more than just that. But I'm struggling to yeah, put it I, into I, Well, I think where accountability gets a bad name is in forecasting. Is it a commit? Yes. And then it doesn't happen. Uh, and then the world implodes on you. Mm. And, you know, you were held accountable for something that you didn't necessarily have control of. Yes. Yeah. Now, that's, that's, that's a big accountability again. This is when accountability is taken as too big a subject rather than breaking it down into smaller bite-sized chunks. Mm. If, mm -hmm. if we as leaders can start to take accountability down into chapters rather than books, mm -hmm. the books look after themselves. You know, you've written a ton of books. How do you write a book? One chapter at a time. You don't write a book. You, you start with a, you know, with a concept, an idea, and then the chapters start to unfold. But you get good at writing chapters. Or actually what you do is you hold yourself accountable to write three pages a day. Mm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to how – many, how many pages am I going to write a day? Or if you're going to, if you're going to discipline yourself to do something uh, – we've just done it with my oldest daughter. You're going to read four pages a day. Now, it turns out she reads about 10 or 12, but she commits to reading four. Now, yeah. we did it for a month. Do I have to ask her to read anymore? She's formed the habit of going to bed and reading before she goes to bed. So held her accountable to something she could achieve. Ooh. And now she's reading books. What Ooh. I wanted to hold her accountable to was you need to read more books. Yeah. But that became you. too big. Yes, so yes, our yes. skill is to break it down. So I, I want to hold you accountable to committed deals. Well, how can I break that down? I need to hold you accountable to de-risking your deals. How can I break that down? Each week, giving you one or two things that you can do that move a deal forward. How do I get not how do I close it? How do I get it from stage one, understanding whether this is something we should both work on, to stage two, a hypothesis which the customer and we can buy into, we can deliver against and they get. Stage three is, you know, then demonstrating, providing an element of proof that, you know, all of that, that works together. And then stage four is, you know, committing to a timeline to, to roll it out and the effort and the resources and what have you. But breaking that down, that makes accountability mm. easier to deal with. Mm. Is it harder to hold somebody accountable if you just want to be their friend? Or you want to be liked? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a, as a, there is a, there is a, you know, we shouldn't want or need affirmation, definitely. But it, I, I don't think so. We hold our friends accountable. I'll meet you at the pub at eight o'clock. When they turn up at quarter past eight, have you got a right to be upset? If they haven't phoned you to let you know they're running 10 minutes late, mm -hmm. have you got a right? Of course you have, and you hold them accountable. You're buying mm -hmm. the first round. Actually, you're buying the first two rounds. You're late, second time. <laughs> yeah. Right? We hold yeah. them accountable. There's a penalty. That's the other thing about mm -hmm. accountability. What's it? What's uh, mm. what's the implication? Mm. So it's about respect too. So that's, that's mm. another element of it. Um, I want to talk to you about permission as well, as in do we need the other person's permission to hold them accountable? Well, uh, uh, this is, this again comes down to that subtlety of, 
um, people are more uh, are more committed to accountability to peers than they are to managers, which is why I always do that thing, which is you know that you know because your peers can put you under more pressure. Interesting. Uh, and it's not seen as like, a, you know, this must happen by this date and what have you. Uh, oh. And you've only got so many cards of those you can pull. And oh. if you pull too many of them, it's a them and us rather oh. than it's a we together. Uh, so that's why I like disseminating accountability out to as many people as possible. Two is, is look, you know, uh, I'm going to ask you for a date when this can be delivered by. Oh. You choose. Oh. All right, okay. Uh, what's the risk that you can't deliver it by that date? Because uh, I do have some people who go, oh, yeah, I'll get it back to you by next week. I thought you were busy this week. What's the uh, risk that you can't deliver it by next week? Why don't, why don't we push it out by three or four days? Yeah. Uh, at least help them to mm. not fall over. What I don't want to do is I don't want to set up this scenario where you constantly fail on your commitments. Mm. This brings up something else as well, which you just mentioned, I thought was worthy of speaking about briefly, which was the idea of having peers hold you accountable because peers have something that managers don't have over you. They mm. have something that we all want, which is acceptance by the group. Mm. And that's our peer group. So that's our tribe. That's who we're a part of. And therefore, we want that acceptance. So therefore, there's a price to pay to the group. We mm. don't always have that necessarily with managers. Managers come, managers go, and you leave or stay. But it's different, and I had never looked at it that way before. It's it's actually in in some respects, it's more powerful. Uh, yeah, and there's a, there's another example. One of my managers here has just rolled out. Um, was was feeling the pressure of running the team meeting every week, and and then by definition was accountable for the agenda was they were accountable for is it a good agenda and was it a worthwhile use of their time and all the rest of it uh, and you know you have two bad team meetings in a row and now everybody's thinking well that's not very good i don't want to go to that team i'm going to book a customer call over that meeting because mm. customer calls trump everything and then i have my perfect excuse not to go yeah yeah so uh a genius role uh said right uh in the team each week each of you owns the agenda for the team meeting. You decide what to bring up, what's important, and you run the meeting. Uh, and I'm here to observe and to, and to make sure that, you know, if you need any external people to be invited along, or if you need any supporting resources, I can make all of that happen for you. Mm. Bang, off you go. Now the reps own the meeting, and each week, each one of them is accountable for running a great meeting. Mm. And if the meeting's not great, do you think their colleagues tell them? Of course they do. But the following yeah. week is somebody else. So now the accountability is disseminated. Yeah. And they're much more fast. They're much faster to tell a colleague that was crap than they would the manager. Yeah. And guess what? The meetings then start to happen a bit quicker. So they'll, they'll soon tell you, ah, we don't need an hour now. We just need half an hour for this meeting to cover stuff that's important. Yeah. So the meetings get shorter, which lots of leaders can panic about. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. That's a really great tip for instilling a culture of accountability. Mm. Yeah. Really is, because that's, that's I, th I think accountability doesn't happen in a vacuum. I think you need to create that culture. It's, it, I don't know that it can be scaled if it's just at a transactional level between one individual and another. I think it needs to be more than yeah. that. Yeah. Te teams that are accountable to each other, if you can foster that, rather mm. than kind of the pyramid approach. That, yeah. that, 
I, I think it comes from the uh, from the that book, the team of teams. That drives that kind of collective accountability. Mm. Mm. So while we're on the topic of accountability, something came up in a meeting I was at. Oh, it's a good few months ago now, and it was a senior sales leader. And his big issue was that his sellers were not holding their prospects accountable for their commitments. So talk to me about your experience with that. Is, is it any different? Should it be any different to, at, at a human level, holding somebody accountable? Is Because I, I can hear salespeople saying, well, it's different. You can't do that. They're the prospect because they put them on a pedestal. And... Uh, I'm not convinced of that myself, but I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are. Yeah, when people are being sold to, they sit back and relax. And when people are buying stuff, they get heavily involved in the process. Yeah, mm. I, I think I, and you only have to say to every seller, what was the last significant purchase you did? Uh, and, and, and what effort did you go to to mm. make that happen? buying a house there'll be spreadsheets there'll be surveys done they'll be researching they'll be looking at other houses that were sold in the area am i getting screwed over blah 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 cars they'll go on different tests they'll drive you know 40 50 miles to go to a dealership you know to go and sit in the car and actually have a look because they're not going to buy it off a brochure yep. yeah they're going but if i'm being sold to uh, just, you know, if you go, if you're lucky enough to get taken on a track day, never been taken. So if anybody wants to sell me a posh car, take me on a track day, I'll probably buy. Um, <laughs> but you go on a track day, you just sit back, you relax, you go around in lots of cars. What do you think the conversion rate on that is? Low. Uh, What's the conversion rate on somebody who's just driven 40 miles to your dealership to have a test drive? High. Yeah. If buyers don't have commitment, to the process, not necessarily to you, but to the process. Mm. Bear mm. in mind that the number one competitor, in my opinion, for the vast majority of organizations is not competitors. It's apathy and no decision. Mm. Time and time again, everybody does, oh, well, we want to do analysis on our competitive losses, 15% of all deals. Yeah, 70% go to no decision. And, and reps will mark that as being something other than their fault because they should yep. have disqualified it earlier. They've wasted a ton of time on it, probably. Yep. Um, is, is, you know, somebody who's willing to put commitment into the process is yep. a buyer. That's, you know, it, somebody's not showing commitment. Again, that comes down to, Paul, something you and I vehemently agree on, which is, you know, my time's unbelievably valuable and I'm not willing to give it away to anybody. Mm -hmm constantly saying and i've got some reps here who get it katie miles who's somebody you should interview up and coming rep you know a great just in her core believes this stuff and you know i've you know you can just see in the tone of ceos who talk to her you know she's been in sales a couple of years you know the sdr last year three promotions so far and you know and ceos of you know four or five hundred person companies are talking to her and are having to barter for time mm. uh, and, and that's based on stuff they need to go away and do. Mm. Uh, I'm, so. I'm, I'm not convinced that the business case is strong enough for this to win against everything else that you're doing. You know, it's, it's to be the initiative that you want to put your name to. I've been working with your team and, and I'm just not getting it. How, mm. how can we, how can we decide together whether this is, you know, a number one, number two initiative. 
Because my biggest fear is if it's a number four initiative, something else is going to come up because it always does. Uh, And we'll just never get it through to completion. And I I don't want to be wasting your team's time on a number four. That brings up something else, though, if you think about it. She's clearly has that mentality. I'm financially independent. I don't need the business. She's quite happy to push back and, you know, strip a little line, let let it off. And that takes a form of courage. Well, well yeah, she's already got to President's Club, so she's she's cheating this year. But next year, the beginning of next year, when she's at Zip, it'll be interesting to see whether she still <laughs> manages to go. But I'm hoping it's that the, ha- challenge to her. Yeah, the, the habit has formed over the last three or four months. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we'll see that that will and just have to remind her of the glimpses of brilliance. Where Isn't she's it doing funny exactly. how behavior changes when people know they've hit target or are going to club? Oh, yeah. Yeah, deal making and you know walking away walking towards the door all of the things that drive accountability mm. yeah uh, i think it's, you could but again we also ask our customers for big accountability as well when little things are good so uh you know we use uh seismic sales enablement tool here anything you send via seismic you can track to the nth level of detail like if you send a pdf document I can see how long uh, a prospect has looked at every single page of a document. Right. Right. So I'm going to say, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, I'm sending you this deck through. The first three slides is our hypothesis about the challenges we think you're facing. The next three slides are about the investment and the effort required on your side to fix that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the next three slides are about the solution that addresses that. Uh, would you be willing to just to look that through, possibly even make a couple of comments on it? Uh, because that's really going to help us in the next meeting, spend time on Q&A uh, mm-hmm. and, and help you to get to a decision. Absolutely not a problem. So what I do is when I send it to them, I expire it in three days. So the mm-hmm. link will stop working in three days, period. And uh, mm-hmm. number two is I know whether they looked at it. So yeah. when it expires and if they're not looking at it, I, I'm, I'm going through, I, I send them an email in three days time. I, I got a notification through because the document wasn't looked at for security reasons, it's shut down. Nobody's looked at it for three days. Uh, should, should I open it up again? Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, please. Okay. And, and how many days do I need to open it up for to give you a chance to go through and just review those nine slides and to it. make some comments? Mm. And, it's not, it's cute, but it's mm. a way of teaching accountability. I've just sent you something and it's not acceptable not to review it, but I've mm-hmm. done it in what I hope would be a respectful and mm. yeah. Does all that come down to when you're talking about accountability in the context of relationships with prospects come down to the paradigm that you need to have, which is you're the one, as in the prospect is the one with the problem and you have a solution. And my time is valuable, as you, you mentioned. Yeah. And if I'm to help you, then I, I need these and you have to demonstrate it. And if you don't, then I'm going to talk to somebody else who's willing to make those commitments. It, it, it's, it, it, it doesn't need that paradigm first in order to be really effective at this. It does as well. We, we cheat a little bit here at, at Outreach as well in that... Um... You know, one of the 
overriding financial kind of hero stories here is the amount of net revenue retention we have. So what that is, is, you know, we sign a customer up for, you know, a hundred bucks. And by the end of the first year, they're significantly more than that. So they grow. Yeah. Um, which is just absolutely phenomenal. So I love working here. Um, but uh, that also then creates, if, if they don't grow, uh, they're at, they're a pain because they haven't got it. They've spent a load of money on something. It's not working. I'm not able to use it and what have you. So um, that has uh, my account teams, my go-to-market teams really thinking about, well, okay, the, you know, the benefit to us as a business is we create raving fans in the market and momentum. And the beauty of, again, is something like outreach is, you know, the, the, the sellers and the SDRs that use the tool in two or three years become the managers and the leaders that buy the tool. The amount of repurchase is, I, I, I've just looked at six or seven deals today that will close in less than two weeks. These are people who've built their careers using outreach who are now in leadership positions. And the first thing they're going to do is buy outreach. So, and, and, you know, and they literally kind of, uh, you don't need to talk to me about it. I completely understand it. I've used it before. I went to President's Club multiple times using your solution uh, and I'm buying it here. All I need to do is, you know, can I get the same price as I had before and how quickly can we get started? Mm. Uh, lovely position to be in. Yep. Sure. Um, although, again, um, some of those are overconfident and my AEs have worked out, well, hang on a minute. How are you going to make sure that this goes in and is as successful as it was in your other company? In your other company, how did they ensure that? It was, oh well, we had sales ops were involved, and we had you know somebody who was on the content committee and all this. Okay, have you got all of those in place? Uh, no, I don't. Mm. Okay, my biggest fear here is uh, you want to buy the the same application again, and you have the expectation, rightly so, that it's going to be as ruefully as successful as it was before but we haven't got everything in place to make that happen. Can we just pause for a moment to make sure you're ready to make the best use of, of, of the tool that's coming in? Ooh. And then they go, oh, that's amazing. And they're in buying mode. So right, let, let's work together. Let's find out what you had in place before. I can send you some stuff to read through uh, and you know, just give me a level of confidence in the other direction that you're willing to make that commitment to this as a, as a, as a tool of the business uh, to work going forward. And um, what happens as a result of that? R ruthlessly successful customer again. But yeah. they've, they've, they've held the prospect accountable. Yeah. And I'm, I'm trying to distill this again down in my head and accountability is, it, it's to do with behavior, although there requires certain attitude we talked about mm. to be successful at it. It's to do with, but it's not randomized behavior, it's behavior that's been agreed to. And that's really, in a nutshell, as I said, if we agree to something, then we're going to agree that there, there are parameters to that and that we're not going to go outside those parameters. And if so, we have permission from each other to, to bring, bring us back on track again. Yeah. Mean, is that oversimplistic? It's not. There's a, there is an over-rotation that can sometimes happen, and I've seen that in the past, where people go, right, okay, well, we need our prospects to be accountable here's all the stuff we're going to get them to do. Mm. And it's like, right, okay, is, is that in sympathy for the buying process they're going through or are you just going to subject them to it? Mm. And it basically becomes like an initiation 
rather than rather than accountability. Yeah. To get in to our club, you have to be, you know, recommended by two other people. You need to have a handicap that's less than six. Uh, yeah. You need to be able to do this, that, and the other. It's like, oh, hang on a minute. I'm willing to, you know, the, uh, the, the accountability has got to be um, authentic mm. and it's got to make sense. Mm. Gotcha. See what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, the, yeah. the accountability that we were doing in that scenario for somebody who's bought outreach before would, would never factor in, in a situation where somebody hasn't bought it before. It's different forms of investigation and research and, and work mm. and activities. So it's having it's having an arsenal of stuff where you can become, uh, you know, you have parity. Mm. Tell me then, from your experience, what role an upfront contract has in in accountability? Uh, well, that's one of the lowest common denominator accountabilities, which is great because it's small. Mm. Hey, Paul, we're going to have a you know, you did it to me before we press record here, Tom. We're we're here for an hour. Uh, this is the subject we're going to talk about. Are you prepared? You've, you've set up. Okay, good. Um, and then we'll finish at the end of the hour. Now, okay, it's not a sales call, so we don't have a, an action afterwards. Mm. But, you know, at the beginning of every meeting, setting out the, the game rules and holding myself accountable mm -hmm. to deliver something and giving mm -hmm. the customer some comfort about this is what's going to happen. And by the way, if you don't agree with anything, you know, call me out on it. Mm. Um, yeah, super powerful. Mm. Yeah, I noticed you did a, that once as well. I remember it was in a close plan or a mutual action plan, and it was again going back to the idea of holding the customer accountable. And you set out a set of parameters saying, Look, if this happens, then here's what I need for you. It's unacceptable if, if for example, you decide to go with somebody else not to let me know. Yeah, so it's kind of setting down the the not the rules. Well, it is kind of rules of engagement. It is, and saying, "Are we okay uh, on the, it?" So, the benefit. Yeah. The benefit we have now is uh, we're we're of an age uh, where um, you know we we play our cards close to our chest. Like you know, have you ever told anybody what you earn? You, uh, your beloved probably doesn't even know. Is you know, these are uh, millennials, Gen Zs, all the rest of it. You know, within within two shakes of a lamb's tail of somebody starting here, they've told everybody what they earn, how many share options they got, and they're trying to work out is it fair. <laughs> Fairness is a huge driver for yeah. what is now the majority of the workforce. They make over fifty percent of the workforce is uh, is millennials and Gen Zs. They're now are very close to becoming the majority of the economic buying committee as well. Mm. So they make fair decisions and they believe in fairness. So if you can couch accountability and fairness, you're yes. actually playing to some of their core desires. Mm. It's, it's, you wouldn't say it, but it's not fair for you to string yeah. me along for a further three weeks when you've already emotionally decided to go with somebody else. Mm. And it's funny you should say that because I, I, I remember even listening to David Sandler and like that's going back because he's dead a good while. And it's been, it's been, it's a, you'll often hear with people who've been at Sandler a while that they'll, end, when they'll ask a question, they'll end it with fair. As yeah. in, it's, it's that, you know, is, 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 is that fair? Yeah. And, and what I've found is that when you say, yeah, you know, that's fair, there's a, there's a subconscious tacit agreement acceptance that's different to, are you okay with that? It's, it's, 
it, it works at a different level. And I've never looked at it that way you said before, yeah, that you're I actually playing into the value system of an entire uh, subculture. Yeah, there's a, uh, but the opposite to fair is unreasonable. And, mm. and I've evolved that to going, is it unreasonable mm. for me to expect your team to have looked at those nine slides and to comment on those before our next meeting? Oh, I love that. Now, the reason unreasonable is um, they have to say no to it. No, it's not unreasonable. And people like saying no more than yes. Yes, they feel they're being drawn into something. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, uh, I want to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Go with, is it unreasonable? It is the strip line version of fair. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, and I love it. I've never looked at it that in that context in terms of getting agreement to something. I love it. Mm. Yeah, because you're right, because you're saying, is that fair? It's almost like you can feel, it would depend on the relationship, it could feel like you've been painted into a corner a little bit, well, which yeah. brings the defences up. But Paul, here's, here's my biggest concern no, is we're, we're talking to you, you, you appear to love the platform and you can see the value in it. Uh, the biggest risk is that when we go to the CEO and the COO uh, who haven't seen or heard of outreach before, uh, that they're going to go, well, this wasn't on my agenda. Uh, this needs to go to the back of the queue. We were looking at some other initiatives, mm. right? And then we waste each other's time. So therefore, is it unreasonable that we should expect uh, to at least brief or have a conversation together with your CEO and COO to make mm. sure we're not wasting our time? Mm. Love it. Now, some, one last per yeah. element of accountability I want to talk to you about before I let you go, Tom, is this accountability as a proxy for... Uh, lack of discipline, right? So to me, discipline, if highly disciplined people hold themselves accountable. That's the way I, simplistic way I look at it. Whereas if you're not quite disciplined or we all tend to be disciplined in certain things that we, we have a strong draw to, but in others, and, and I have, would have that here with Reen, I would say, look, I know when it comes to detail and follow up, I'm just not good. I, I, I see a squirrel, I'm gone. My, you know, my, I'm distracted and therefore, these other tasks over here that are waiting. I'll, I'll literally, I'll be like your, your friend on the off ramp. I'll have forgotten mm. about them. Mm. And therefore, because I know that I will say, look, please, you know, hold, hold my feet to the fire on this. Don't let it go past Wednesday because I'll have forgotten. Now, maybe that's a cop out on my behalf to say that. Um, I'm looking at it more of a kind of, kind of saying, say, look, you have my permission to, to mm. hold me accountable. And not just that, I actually want it because I know it's a blind spot of mine. Whenever you're asking somebody to do something, uh, it, it can be seen as a bit of a, a, bit of a change uh, and, and guiding somebody through that change. And what I'm thinking of is the seven questions you should ask yourself whenever you ask somebody to do something for you. And that would be, and hopefully, yeah. So change management, what is changing? Why is it changing? How will it affect my area? So how, how will it affect me directly? How will you know I've been successful and I'm meeting expectations? And the re we need, that's what people will want to know when you ask them to do something. So if I asked you to do something, and I want to say, well, okay, what, what, what are you asking me to do? Mm -hmm. why, why are you asking me to do it? 
how will it affect my area and me how will it affect me directly does it have a benefit for me and how will i know if i've done it well or met your expectations yeah mm. and as a and as a manager or as a leader you need to be thinking what am i trying to accomplish with this and why am i asking for it mm-hmm. what is the decision now what's the non-negotiables and why what, if anything, will I need to think of or do differently in terms of how I work? How will I know I've been successful? What the concerns and questions my team may have when I ask them to do this stuff? Yeah. Um, do I have any concerns or questions? Uh, how can I be a champion for it? How will I help those around me and how can I support and collaborate with them? So uh, luckily this is recorded and people can kind of wind that forwards and backwards and think mm. about that. But if you're if you're thinking about implementing this accountability, like I want you to prepare accordingly for our forecast calls every week and I'm going to hold you accountable for that. When when you're going through that, when you think about what you want people to do to prepare for it, you've Mm. now got a lens in which they will translate that requirement to them. And you've got a set of lenses in which you need to Mm. think about how you bring that about. Because what we're assuming here is there's going to be a number of people on the call who don't feel they're holding their teams or their individuals mm. or themselves accountable enough and they want to find a way to do it. I love it. So it's at a really nice framework and I'll make sure we, we put, I'll put those questions in, in, in the published. Yeah, I've got, uh, I've got another one. Because uh, okay. uh, I had them in my ready reckoners. Here we go. Um, seven questions. So what's, what's the ultimate goal? of what you're trying to do with this accountability. So this is this is the question. So when, when you ask somebody to do something, the questions mm-hmm. they're gonna be thinking is, what's the goal? How does this relate to my role, my success? They'll also want to know is, what what's my role in the success of this as a collective having done it? Mm-hmm. And what specifically do I need to do to achieve that? And your role as a leader is then to check in with them halfway through what do you think you need to do uh, and how can I help you with it? So what are your gaps, clarity and what have you? And then check in again in terms of, you know, further clarification, what have you? I think what it, uh, and where that one's coming from is rather than directive accountability is give people the problem. And if they come up with the solution, they will hold themselves more accountable. Mm. Here's, here's my, here's, Here's a good problem. Lots of sales leaders will want to try and increase win rate. Mm-hmm. We currently need four times pipeline to get to our number, which means we're wasting 75% of our time. Mm. I'd like us to be able to be in a position in six months time where we can walk into the quarter with two times pipeline mm. to make our number. Or we go in with the same amount of pipeline. We just do 200% of our number. Yay. Yeah. We all make a lot of money, right? Um, how could we go about that? And then give that to the teams to think about and then ask them, right, well, and then how do we make ourselves, what do we do to make ourselves accountable? And, um, you know, you only have to look at the World Cup winning England rugby team. They wrote their own manifesto, the players, on being accountable. And one of the famous rules um, that's spoken about is uh, being late to a meeting is arriving later than 10 minutes early. Their rule. <laughs> so the meeting starts yeah. at 9 a.m. I'm there yeah. ready to start at, at 10.2. Mm. Same as Harrods opens at 10, but everybody's at the tills at 9 a.m. Mm. 
the shops open an hour before the first customer comes in. Do you know why? First customer could be the Sultan of Brunei and is about to spend six million quid. They need to be assured to have the same experience as the person who comes in at 11 a.m. when everybody's ready to rock and roll. So they made their rules. Mm. I love it. Yeah, that's it's what's getting me here. What I'm really thinking about is this framework for accountability. I think all too often it can be a hurried email. I need this rather than a, a, a structured, thought out communication that lays out what's required, why it's required, how it's going to impact you, how it's going to impact the team, what the end result looks like. And having that will save people a lot of time as well because it gives them a nice um, structure to follow, which makes it easier to document the agreement in the first place. But uh, I even was thinking as you were talking, what was going through my head was the idea of giving prospects homework before you have a call whether it's something that they need to read or it's a survey that they need to complete. And I've gotten these as, as a buyer before and it never felt good. And when I think back, it's often because before we speak, you need to complete this. And that's cold. It, it, there's, there's, there's no relationship in that. But if it was, look, uh, we need you to complete this. Here's why. Here's how it'll impact our conversation. Here's, Here's how it'll help us. You, you're going to go and buy a Ferrari. And the Ferrari dealership sends you, and they do, they send you a questionnaire, not that I bought a Ferrari, but they send you a questionnaire that one is, they want to know uh, what's your primary car, because the Ferrari can't be your primary car. Um, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> because you can't do more than 5,000 miles a year in a Ferrari. What keeps the second hand value up is the fact that they've never do that many mileage. So if it's your primary vehicle, they're really concerned. Second thing is you can't park it on a street. You have to provide proof, not to everybody, but if they can't work out whether you've got a garage or not by going onto Google Maps, which is what they'll do first, uh, and they can't see a garage, they won't let it be stored outside. So before you're allowed to, and I've had a friend of mine who couldn't buy it, lived in Kensington, really nice place, had off-street parking, all the rest of it, uh, wasn't allowed to buy it because it was going to be his only car, multimillionaire, by the way, self-made, it's yeah. going to be his only car. He's going to commute to work, probably do 25,000 miles a year in it. Uh, and they wouldn't let him buy one. So he went and bought a Porsche 911 Turbo instead. Same money, uh, but Porsche didn't care. Right? Mm. Uh, so with, with Ferrari, I want a Ferrari. I'm emotionally bought into the process. I'm going to fill in the form and do it. Now mm. it's uh, a Mercedes SL 500. Mercedes sends you a note. And you had to fill in the form. I'll just go and buy the BMW. That's exactly the same as the Merc. Mm. It doesn't. It doesn't have uh, the exclusivity. Doesn't have yeah. the emotional buying before you start. You can only ask somebody to do something that they're emotionally willing to partake in. Yes. And so you've got to have that. People buy emotionally, justify mm. rationally. If they're not emotionally in the process, can't mm. give them homework. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, I. I Absolutely. That's, that's it in a nutshell. That's it. You have to earn the right to get that. And that's from their emotional buy-in. Very yeah, true. And that's the same for, you know, when you're holding people accountable, they're not emotionally yeah. bought into what you're holding them accountable to. Hmm. Good luck. Tom, fascinating as always. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your insights yet again. Uh, another chapter, another, another, another wonderful, wonderful conversation. Thank you very much for sharing your time with me today.
no problem. I hope the four people who stayed on enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else, it's accountability. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Good stuff. All right. Thanks, awesome. Man.